So as I said uh, last time, I wanted to use this text for really the last two messages in regards to Jesus's ministry. So we did his works, his life of good works. We dealt with that last time. This week we have miracles. Um, I'm sure this is one that maybe in some of your minds is kind of interesting to see how we're going to go with it and when we're going to get there, how we're going to deal with the miracles of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of changed it up a bunch of times because it's so hard to figure out how to approach this topic and try to deal with it rightly. So this is the last one we're going to do in his ministry. Um, after that, we'll continue onward. We'll deal with um, his rejection, his trial, crucifixion, and, and everything else in terms of biography of seeing the Lord Jesus. But uh, we'll, we'll deal with a couple different questions in terms of the miracles of Christ and also look at a handful of them today. So, obviously, we're, we're pretty aware. The thing is, in dealing with the miracles, everybody who has spent any time reading the Bible, they know that Jesus did perform miracles. And even if, you, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you know Jesus performed a lot of miracles. Um, I just wanted to ask, just in terms of just trying to see what first jumps at your mind, but what are some miracles of the Lord Jesus that, that they're just at the forefront of your mind? When you think a miracle of Jesus, what's the first thing you think of? Huh? Okay, all right. Were you going to say one? Okay, sure. Sure. Like supernatural events, though, in the life of Jesus. Okay, walking on water. The what? Bread and the... Okay, multiplying the food. Huh? Spitting in the man's eyes. That's an interesting one. I, I, I thought to take the time to deal with it. I, I won't. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. But there's a lot, obviously. You go through the Gospels, and uh, there's so much miraculous that fills the ministry of Jesus. I mean, you can hardly go a page in any one of the four Gospels and not see Jesus doing something miraculous in the midst of these people. And uh, John knows that this was the way the life of Jesus was, because he writes at the end of his Gospel, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So John knew the things he wrote about and the things that the other, the other uh, uh, men wrote about in their Gospels, there's far more that Jesus did that wasn't even written about. And he goes on and he says this, There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So the, the works that Jesus had done, the miracles that Jesus had done, so much of it had happened in His ministry that John is recognizing, I've only written some of these things here, and even if you tried to write everything that He did, the world itself couldn't contain all the books. So the miraculous is all over Jesus' ministry. And I think the thing is this. This is something I, I really had to deal with for myself as I began to prepare this. Brethren, I think the miraculous is taking place so much in the Gospels that it becomes normal and it becomes ordinary for us to read about Jesus doing miracles, miraculous things. And I'm telling you, brethren, it ought not be so that we read that stuff in the Gospels and it becomes normal and ordinary for us. I've, I've mentioned this, I think, to maybe a few of you, but when I first became a Christian, I had no Christian influence before I became a Christian. So I start reading things in the Bible and I am shocked at what I'm reading. I can't even believe that some of this is taking place. And I go back to church the next week and I start asking people, did you guys know that Jesus did this? And they look at me and they're like, oh yeah. And I'm just blown away by the fact of what is happening in the Gospels. And people are casually looking at me going, well yeah, he walked on water. Yeah, he did this. Yeah, he did that. And when you've been taught these stories from a young age, or even if you've just read through the Gospels a handful of times, 
Brother, it can become it can become ordinary. You can become in a place where you start reading about Jesus healing people of diseases with a word. Or the fact that he walked on water. Or that he stops storms just by talking to them. That he multiplies food for thousands. That he radically heals paralyzed people. That he restores physical deformities. That he opens eyes of the blind. That he gives people ability to talk who've never been able to talk. Or that he even raises the dead. You can come to things like that and they're just normal. They're just ordinary. It's just another story. Just, just did this thing again. And I'm telling you, brethren, as I began to prepare for this, reading through the Gospels, and I'm looking at some of these miracles, brethren, I'm telling you, I began to just see them as normal and ordinary over the years. As reading through the Gospels time and time again, brethren, I became the person that I knew when I was first a Christian who came to the miraculous in the Gospels and didn't stop and sit in awe of it, but just read through it. Oh, okay, here you go. Jesus feeding 5,000. Here's Jesus healing a blind man, healing a mute man, healing a paralyzed man. Just turn the page. Keep going. Brother, I got to a point where now I'm doing the same thing that I saw people doing when I first became a Christian. Coming in the miraculous and the gospels and not coming to a full stop? I'm, brother, I'm wanting us to reevaluate and see the things that Jesus did in the Gospels with fresh eyes. Not, brethren, that they would not be ordinary and normal and dull. Jesus did things in the Gospels. Now, I, I'm going to say a lot of things here that are really kind of like baseline. Generic, not a lot of exuberant ideas. This is just, this is just really baseline stuff. But I felt like it needed to be said. When you come to the, to the Gospels and you start reading the life of Jesus, He is doing things that ought to shock you. They ought to shock you. And, and I want to look at what happened to the people that He was with when the miracle took place and see what the reaction was for these people. How did they react to the miracles of Jesus? And I want you to ask yourself, brethren, is your reaction the same as these people who had seen it take place? I want you to look first. We're going to look at one. We're going to look at a handful of these, but look with me at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. This is going to be the first one. Luke 5, 17 through 26. The people who saw these miraculous acts, brethren, it was anything but normal and ordinary for them. This is, a, this is a pretty familiar passage, pretty familiar miracle. Jesus healing this paralyzed man. Luke 5, 17 through 26. I'm going to read the story. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. Hallelujah. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. 
Let me just ask you, after reading that, are you, are you thoroughly blown away by what you just read? Because, because if you're not, you've got to ask yourselves, why not? Why not? Brethren, this is an astonishing thing that is taking place in the ministry of Jesus. Here he is. He's teaching these people in this house. And Luke tells us the power of the Lord was upon him to heal. It's like Luke is tipping you off. Something amazing is about to take place. I was thinking, of, when I was thinking of that, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but little kids movie that my kid had watched years ago, Incredibles. And there's a scene at the very end of the movie where there's this little kid and he's standing there and, and the big guy or whatever his name is, and the, he's like, what are you waiting for? And the little kid goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. And it's like, you come to this and, and, and Luke is saying, the power of the Lord is with him to heal. And you're like, wow, okay, something is about to take place that is about to be through the roof miraculous. And Luke is trying to get you to see that. And so here we come into the story. Can you imagine the scene? First of all, the people come. They can't get in to bring this man who's paralyzed in front of Jesus. So they tear the roof off of the building and they drop him down there in the midst of all the people right in front of Jesus. And undoubtedly, brethren, there were people there thinking, what is this? I mean, the guy's, the man's limbs don't work. What is Jesus going to do? What can he possibly do for this man? Look, there's a lot that can be said about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and all that, but I'm just wanting you to see here the miraculousness of what is taking place. So if you just realize this, Jesus says to a paralyzed man, he can't walk. Jesus turns to this man and he says to him, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And bam, immediately, Matthew, Luke says immediately he picked up his bed and he went home. Immediately. There's, there's no waiting period. There's no learning how to use his legs again. No rehab. No nothing. The, Jesus says rise and the man stands up in the midst of all these people. They knew the guy came in and he couldn't walk. And Jesus says get up and the guy gets up. This is one of the most miraculous things that is taking place. Instant healing. Complete restoration. Brethren, for any of the people that would have been there, this would have been the most shocking thing for any of them to have seen. None of them would have ever seen anything more shocking than this. And it says right there, amazement sees them. Brethren, when you read this, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. You read the story. The man drops down through the roof. Jesus says, rise, get up and walk. Picks up his bed and he goes off. Do you come to the end of that and amazement just seizes you? Wow! That's what they did. They're filled with awe. You better believe they were filled with awe. They say, we have seen extraordinary things today. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They saw a man come in who had to be carried by their friends and he walks off by himself. Yeah, they saw extraordinary things that day. Brethren, when you, when you read this stuff, what is your reaction? I mean, has it just become normal? Has it just become ordinary? How else did people respond? Jesus, when he walks on water, Mark 6 says the disciples were utterly astonished. Utterly astonished. When he calms the storm, the disciples say, Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? This man can control the sea? Who is this man? There's a recognition that he's, he is no ordinary individual. And that's what happens in the feeding of the 5,000 as well. I want you to look at this. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. And uh, we're going to read verses 13 through 21. This is a very interesting miracle because... 
It is actually the only one that all four gospel writers put in their gospel. Uh, each one maybe has, uh, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a lot of theirs are interchangeable. But this is the only one that all four put into their gospel. So let's read this. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And when he was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Again, brethren, when you read it, are you just astounded by what you just read? By what you just heard that Jesus did? This is an incredible scene. You've got to realize a couple things here that we just read. One, the, the size of the crowd. Matthew tells us that it's 5,000 men besides women and children. In the other accounts, the disciples are basically telling Jesus, it would take 200 denarii to feed all these people. A denarius is a day's wage. So these disciples are saying, Jesus... There's so many people out here that it's gonna, it would take 200 days worth of wages to feed all these people. This is a lot of people, brethren. Now, a small estimate, a, a very small estimate of probably how many people were there is from 15 to 20,000 people. Probably more than that. But that's a pretty small, that's a pretty small estimate. So you got 15 to 20,000 people in front of Jesus and these disciples. And now you think about again the resources. What did they have? Five loaves of bread and two fish. 15 to 20,000 people are being fed off of five loaves of bread and two fish. Brother, it does not take a genius for someone to realize the magnitude of what is taking place in this scene. And this is probably why all four of the gospel writers are putting it in their story. It was incredible that they had seen this thing take place. And what's more... Now, I, I had read somewhere, I wanted to tell you guys where it was, but I, I can't remember, so I'm going to have to try to figure it out. But I had read that in the language here, in the original language of each of the Gospels, the way that it's worded is to indicate that the miracle is taking place in the hands of Jesus. So that what's happening is he's, he, he himself is breaking the bread and giving it to the disciples for them to give to the people, and he simply continues to break it. It doesn't stop. Big piece of, big piece of bread, half a fish for plate one, hand it out. Big piece of bread, half a fish for plate two, hand it out. Big piece of bread, half a fish, plate three. Big piece of bread, half a fish, plate, plate four. They only, had, they only had two fish. You think that by that time you're done, but they're not done. He just keeps doing it. This keeps over and over and over. It never depletes. This just amid Jesus is miraculously just continuing to break the bread, break the fish, break the bread, break the fish. Give it out. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. It never goes away. There's only five loaves and there's only two fish. And he feeds 20,000 people out of this stuff. This is unbelievable. And then at the end, what happens? The disciples gather up 12 basketfuls. What in the world? I mean, they're going out and they're gathering up more food than they had at the start. 
These people knew we didn't even have enough to start with. And now they got leftovers. They got 12 basketfuls of leftovers. These people would have been left in awe about what they had just seen. If you would have seen this with your own eyes, brethren, you, would have, you probably would have thought your eyes would have been deceiving you. How is it possible that this is happening? And what's the response of the people? Well, John tells us in his account of it. You can look at John 6. John 6, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So after they saw him do this, these people knew Jesus is the one who was to come. Jesus is the promised prophet. He's the promised Messiah who was going to come into the world. Brother, is this your reaction? If you come across the story reading about Jesus feeding the five, feeding the, the, I don't know why we always call it the 5,000. Ain't 5,000. There's a lot more than that there. Feeding the 20,000. But when you come to that, does it, does, it, does it bring you to a place where you are saying, yes, Jesus is the promised one? He has to be. He has to be. Look at what he just did. How else did people respond? Well, when Jesus heals the young boy of an unclean spirit in Luke chapter 9, it says, they were astonished at the majesty of God. Jesus heals a man unable to speak in Matthew 9. And the people say, we have never seen anything like this. He heals a deaf man in Luke 7. And it says that the people were astonished beyond measure. He heals the blind beggar, blind Bartimaeus. Says that the people saw it and they gave praise to God. You know what, brethren? That idea of seeing a miracle and it causing the people to give praise to God. I want to show you another scene where this takes place. Luke chapter 7. This is probably a little bit of a less known passage, but certainly no less glorious. Luke 7, Jesus raises this widow's son. Starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. Brethren, listen, if that passage does not make you just sit back in awe of the Lord Jesus, I don't know what can. I mean, did you hear what just took place of what we read? Jesus comes into this town. He sees this man being carried out, probably in some kind of casket. They're, they're carrying out to bury him. He had, dead, he had been dead sometime before this. So they're carrying this man out to bury him. And Jesus speaks to the dead man, and he says, Arise! And the man gets up, and he starts talking. He sits up. A dead man sits up. Don't you love the way Luke puts that? It says, he, Jesus says, Arise. And Luke says, And the dead man sat up. <laughs> well, he's not dead anymore. Dead man sat up, and he starts talking. Brother, and if you... If, if the mother of this man didn't faint, that would have been a miracle in and of itself. 
I cannot believe what it would have been like to be in midst of the crowd of this people and would have seen this take place. You almost can't even get a grip on how incredible that would have been. And what's their response? It says, fear seized them all. And they glorify God. Brother, when we read these stories in the Gospels, what do you do with them? What's your response when you read them? Are you astonished? Are you seized with awe? Are you seized with fear? Are you astounded by what takes place? Because it is astounding what's taking place. Does it cause you to declare outwardly who Jesus Christ is. Brother, you ever read one of these stories and just sat back in awe and thought, wow, I have read extraordinary things today. You ever just stopped and read one of the stories and gave glory to God? Gave praise to God for what you just read? Brother, don't let miraculous stuff like this just become normal and ordinary and dull. It is not, brethren. Don't let it become ordinary when you read about Jesus raising Lazarus up who had been dead and in a tomb for four days. The man was in a tomb for four days. And Jesus says, come out. And he comes out of the tomb. How can you read it and it be dull and ordinary? Don't let it be ordinary when Jesus turns water into wine. I mean, we, who, uh, Nikki was just telling me, we were out of wine. we got to go buy more wine for the supper. Well, what if someone said, we don't need to buy more wine? Bam! Water, wine. You'd be shocked at that. That's unbelievable. Don't let it be ordinary. Jesus heals ten lepers at one time in the Gospel of Luke. He tells all of them, be clean. Bam! Ten of them, clean. Brother, don't let it be ordinary. When you come to paragraphs in the Gospels that sum up untold numbers of miraculous things. I want you to see these. Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, starting in verse 53. I mean, this is, just, this is just a little paragraph, like a side thing in the Gospels. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. You don't even know how many people this was. Mark is just adding this little paragraph off to the side. By the way, when they got to Gennesaret, all these people from the village just came over and they just brought all their sick and he healed them all. Now anyway, let me tell you about, you know, what else happened. The commandments and the traditions of the Pharisees. What? What are you talking about, Mark? How many people were there? You just showed up and all the villages and all the towns bringing their people and they're just touching Jesus' garment and they're healed. Yeah, yeah, but it happened a million times. Now, look at another one here. What's the other passage I have? Matthew 15. Actually, we read this one in our, in our reading. Again, look, listen to this. Matthew 15, 20, starting in 29. Again, this is just a, just a little aside here. A couple sentences in the middle of, the Matthew, of, God, of the, uh, Matthew's Gospel. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up to the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. You read that? They come, and they're bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled. The, these are, this isn't like, you know, I got a bad toe. This isn't, my, my elbow's got arthritis, you know, can you touch it and make it feel warm? These are people that can't see, brethren. They can't see. They can't walk. They're crippled. These people can't talk. These are people, they come and the people know 
That was a miracle. That guy was carried here by his friends. And there he goes, leaping off. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. They put him at his feet, and he healed them. That's four words. All these people, and it says, and he healed them. It's like in Genesis when it says, and he made the stars. <laughs> wow, okay. That's how we're going to sum that up. And he healed them. So the crowds wondered when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Brother, when we read these things, we've got to be filled with some kind of awe about what's taking place. Just miracle after miracle after miracle in the ministry of Jesus. If you just imagine the scene again, here's Jesus. He's on, the, he's on this hilltop up here, and the people continue to bring him different individuals. Can't walk, can't speak, can't hear, different physical deformities. People are bringing him all kinds of sickness, all manner of disease, and everyone that comes goes away well. Absolutely shocking. Brother, if you were standing there, how many times would you have watched a genuine, real healing and complete restoration for you to think, eh, this is normal and ordinary? I don't think you'd ever think that. I think every time someone came who couldn't come in walking and then goes out walking, you'd be shocked. You could watch it a hundred times and you'd still go, wow, another one. How's he doing this? Every time someone came in who couldn't see and then he goes away being able to see. You'd, you'd be clapping your hands every time. Every time someone's come who's, brought, who's sick, about to die, and made healthy, you'd be in awe, brethren. Every time you would be. Even if he had done it 200 times before this. All the people from the village, the last guy comes, sick near to death. Jesus heals him. You'd be, you'd be absolutely in awe. Even if you'd seen it 100 times before that. So I want us to see this miraculous ministry of Jesus like a little child again. Like a little child who is seeing things that are absolutely astounding to see and be in awe of Him. So that when you read through these Gospels and you read these events of Jesus doing these things, it does, it's not just ordinary and normal, but that you give praise, you give glory to God. Brethren, there is no greater, you talk about action-packed thriller. <laughs> there is no better action-packed thriller than you read through the Gospels and every page you're turning, something miraculous is taking place. If you imagine in your life, every hour something miraculous took place, you could read the Gospels and it's like that. Just turn the page, wow, another one, wow, another one. Just miraculous thing after miraculous thing. Brethren, we got to be in awe of it. Don't let it become dull. Don't let it become ordinary. Jesus' ministry is not dull and ordinary. Now listen, let me say this because this is important. Mm. Although we ought to be struck with awe and wonder at the ministry of Jesus. You also have to remember that Jesus did not simply come to put on some kind of show and wow crowds. He didn't come to do a bunch of miracles in some sideshow carnival act and make people wow and you know walk away astonished. That's not the purpose for which he performed miracles. <clears throat> His miracles were to authenticate him and his message. They were to prove who he was and that what he had to say was true and was from God. Brethren, this is really important for us to get biblically. The purpose for Jesus is miracles. They're not just to make him look cool. They're not just to make us sit back and be wowed. We ought to be, but they were for a purpose to testify who he was, and to testify about his message. His works were to authenticate him as the Messiah sent from God. Now, if you remember, a while back, I had dealt with that situation where John is in prison, 
and he sends some of his disciples over to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? You remember this? And uh, Jesus, what does Jesus tell these disciples? Do you remember? That's right. Yep, yep. He basically tells him, you go tell John what you've seen, right? He tells him the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. This is not random on Jesus' part. He is telling these men to go back and tell John the very things that they saw. Why? Because he is wanting John to see that this is exactly the kind of thing that was said that the Messiah would do when he came. Did we not read that in Isaiah 35? What was going to take place? The eyes of the blind are going to see. The lame are going to leap for joy. Brethren, Jesus is telling John, if you look at the prophets and you see what is the Messiah going to do, and you look at my ministry and you put them next to each other, they're the same, brethren. He's trying to get these people to see that what the prophets said in the Old Testament is exactly what was taking place in the ministry of Jesus. And it testifies to Him. It authenticates Him as the promised Christ, as the promised Messiah. And you know what? People recognize this in the Gospels. In that conversation when Jesus talks with Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, listen to this. This is what Nicodemus says about Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus recognizes this. He doesn't know everything, but he knows this. We know that you're a teacher sent from God because no one can do what you're doing unless God is with him. You know what, brother? That'd be all good and well. We could, we could deduce that from the scriptures if we're trying to determine what's the purpose for Jesus' miracles. We can go to some of these places and we can think, okay, it's got to be because it's authenticating him as the Messiah. He's the promised Christ and these miracles are testifying to that. And we could, we could try to pull that together from the scriptures, but we don't even have to try to pull that together. Jesus tells us explicitly that this is exactly the purpose for which his miracles are done. So look at this, John chapter 5, <clears throat> John 5, and we're going to read 31 through 37. Basically, you have this situation here where these Jews are questioning the authority of Jesus. Where do you get this authority from? And he's going to tell them that his authority is valid because he's got multiple testimonies, different, different, different people testifying, different things testifying about who he is. Now listen to what he says here. John 5, starting in 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father has sent me, has himself bore witness about me. Now, brethren, listen, you can see very clearly here what Jesus is saying. He's telling these people that the very works that he is active doing are bearing witness and testifying about who he is as the Messiah sent from God. They are authenticating him. That's the purpose for it. And there's an even clearer text than this. Look at John chapter 10. John 10, starting in verse 22. You have a, this is another situation here. Jesus is in this feast in Jerusalem. These Jews come and they come to question him. Look at, starting in, in 10.22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple. 
in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now look, they're asking him, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Are you the Savior? How long do you keep us in suspense, Jesus? If you're him, tell us plainly. Listen to what Jesus says. <clears throat> Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. Brother, if you ever wanted to ask the question, of what is the purpose for the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, what were they intended to do? Well, here's your answer, brethren. The miracles of the Lord Jesus are to display Him and authenticate Him as the Christ, as the promised Messiah. They were to bear witness. They were to be a piece of the testimony saying, that is the Christ. Here's the work. I'm telling you that that's the Messiah. That's the point, brethren, that He is the one sent from God to be the Savior of the world. And in fact, the miracles are intended for this purpose. They're, they're geared toward this purpose so much that we're often presented with in the Bible that they are the reason why we ought to believe in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever recognized this, but oftentimes the scriptures are telling us you ought to believe because the miracles. You ought to believe because the signs. Listen to a couple of these, these places where this kind of comes out. When Jesus turns the water into wine, this is what it says. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. There's a connection here. Don't lose it. Okay? Jesus turns the water into wine, and the result is that the disciples believe in Him. It is because of the miracle that the disciples believe in Jesus. Brethren, listen, when you see in John chapter 6, these, some of these Jews come to Jesus, and they say to Him, Show us a sign that we might believe in you. That's not necessarily the wrong thing there. Because... The problem was not that they were looking for a sign that he'd be authenticated. The problem was they just wanted a bunch of signs. Jesus had already performed many miracles and they didn't believe when they had seen them. But the simple fact that the miracle ought to be a testimony that ought to cause you to believe, well, that's not, that's not out of line. The simple fact that Jesus ought to be believed because of his miracles, that's not out of line. Brethren, John himself actually says this at the end of his gospel. Listen to this. In John chapter 20, he says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now watch what he says. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You see what John's saying? He's saying, guys, Jesus did a lot of miracles, but I'm writing these ones so that you believe. That's the point for it. He's saying, guys, I wrote of you miraculous things, not so that you could just read them and go, wow, but that you'd read them and go, that's the Christ. That's the Son of the living God. I'm believing in Jesus Christ. John is saying, that's the reason for which he told you of the miracles, so that you would believe. Unless we have any questions about this point and its validity, Jesus says this abundantly clear in the book of John. Not just once, but twice. He tells these people that are in front of Him, and of course those who would come after, that they should believe in Him, even if for nothing else but the works that He was doing. I want you to see these. John chapter 10. John 10, 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, now look what he says. If I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see what Jesus is saying here? Look at John 14. 
14.11 Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see what Jesus is saying to these people? He's telling them, look, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, at least believe because of what you're seeing take place. The miracles themselves ought to be such a powerful testimony of who Jesus Christ is that these people should be looking at his work saying, I don't really know where else I can go but say he's the Messiah. The works ought to be that much of a testimony he's saying to them. He says, believe in me, or else just believe on the count of the works themselves. This is powerful ministry that's taking place. And it's a reason for which people ought to believe. <clears throat> so these things testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who was sent from God. And the miracles, they, they testified of it so well that we are often given in Scripture that the miracles themselves ought to be a reason for which we believe and trust in Jesus. Brethren, do you realize the weight of the miraculous ministry that Jesus gives among some of these cities? You know that he holds entire cities accountable for having seen miraculous works and not repented. Listen to this. Let me show you this. Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see the weight that he gives upon his miraculous ministry. This is no small deal. Here's what he says, Matthew 11, starting in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. You see this? Jesus had been involved in miraculous healings and all kinds of ministry in these places. And he began to denounce these places where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. They had seen it and they didn't repent. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Brother, to have seen the miraculous ministry of the Lord Jesus and for it to not lead people to belief and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Something is being missed. Something is seriously is being missed. To see that take place and not repent? Brethren, you're sealing your judgment. To come to the miracles in the Gospels and to read of what took place and not come to repentance. Brethren, you're sealing judgment if you do that. Do you think of the miracles of Jesus in this light? You ever thought of them as an evangelistic tool? I know I never have. To go and show people the works of Jesus and tell them like John does at the end of his gospel. You know what, you know what you're doing? Anybody in here ever give someone the gospel of John as an evangelistic thing? I've done that. Pretty much everybody's probably done that. Here, read this, gospel of John. It's like a track basically. Right? What does John do at the end of his gospel? We just read it. Right? But what does he say about those, those acts? That's right. Okay. So when you give someone the gospel of John, what you're basically doing is, is showing them the ministry of Jesus, and John presents them with the question at the end. So you're going to believe or what? And, he, and what I'm saying is, brethren, this is an evangelistic thing for us. To show people the works of Jesus Christ and then say to them after, Listen, I told you these things so that you might believe. Are you going to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Did you see what He did? Did you hear what I just read to you of what Jesus Christ did? Of who He is and the miraculous ministry that He performed? You're going to believe in Jesus Christ? Does it not testify that He's the Son of the living God? 
Do you think of them as reason to have confidence in your own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Like Nicodemus said, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Brother, you ever look at the ministry of Jesus and think that? I know that this is him. No one can do that stuff. No one walks on water. No one feeds 20,000 people with two, five loaves of bread and two fish. You ever come to that and think, we know this is a man sent from God? Brethren, don't come to these mighty works of Jesus and breeze over them. Stop. Stop there for a minute. Stop and wonder what glory, what power, what testimony of who Jesus is in His miraculous ministry. Brethren, He is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there can't be any doubt about it when we see what He's done in the Gospels. But additionally to that, I said that it authenticates Him and His teaching. It does both. His works don't just tell us of who He is, the Messiah sent from God, but they tell us that what He had to say was true, and it was from God. And we've talked about this before, but what was the message of Jesus? What did He come preaching? Yeah, the kingdom. Did you say that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus came preaching of a kingdom, the kingdom of God that was entering in. And, he, and, and listen, let me tell you something. If you were living in the first century and someone showed up who started preaching about the kingdom of God that God had promised for thousands of years, and you were saying not only was that kingdom now present, but that you were saying that you were the one bringing the kingdom into reality, you had better have some mighty works to go with that claim. What Jesus came preaching needed to be authenticated, brethren, and it was through His mighty works and His miracles that preaching was vindicated. Jesus did not just come proclaiming a kingdom of God. He came displaying a kingdom of God at work. And this is exactly the point that comes out. You, I know you, you, you guys know and remember the scene very well, but when Jesus is casting out demons, and these Jews come and they want to accuse Jesus that He's not casting out demons by the power of God, but that He's casting out demons by the power of the prince of the air, by, by the power of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And he responds to them and he says this, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Brethren, there can't be any denying this, that Jesus came preaching the intrusion of the kingdom of God upon this earth, upon this world, and His miracles testify to the very fact that that kingdom of God did come. He tells them, if I'm doing this by the power of God, then yes, the kingdom of God has come. Yes, the message I'm preaching is true. The works that he did testifies to this very fact. His person, brethren, who he is, the Messiah sent from God, and his message were authenticated by his miraculous ministry. I want to deal with one more thing here before we close. And this is really important for us to grasp. To understand the means by which Jesus did these miraculous things. What I mean is, where exactly did the power come from for Him to do what He did as we read in the Gospels. And the answer to this question is right where we started. Acts chapter 10. Look with me at that passage again. Acts 10, verse 38. 
God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, let me ask you, in this passage here, Acts 10.38, what is the catalyst, the cause, for the miraculous ministry of Jesus? Where is the power coming from for Jesus to do what He did? What does it say? That's right. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. You ask yourself, how does Jesus do what He did in the Gospels? Where does the power come from for Him to do this miraculous stuff that He did? Brethren, the answer lies right there. It comes from the fact that He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Brethren, Jesus did what He did by the power of the Spirit. Now look, I could say this next thing by myself, and it would be just as true, but I want you all to know that these are not just my own weird ideas. So I'm going to quote someone else, much more esteemed than myself. There's a guy named Mark Jones. He wrote a book called Knowing Christ. It's a very well-known book, well-known author. But he says this. Now listen very carefully here. Most Christians believe that Jesus performed miracles because he is God. But here we must tread with some caution. He goes on to say, Christ performed miracles because the Holy Spirit enabled him. Sometimes, however, Christ could not perform mighty works because the Spirit did not enable him. Mark 6, 5 through 6, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He continues, God's power is greater than man's sin, but nevertheless, in Mark 6, we have a striking testimony to the fact that Jesus, in His human nature, was entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. This can only be explained if Jesus was under the authority of His Father, who was the great orchestrator of all Christ's prophetic, priestly, and kingly acts while on earth. If the Father withheld from Christ the prerogative to perform mighty works, He could only say, for such is your perfect will. He could have depended upon His own inherent divine resources, but instead He depended upon the will of the Father, who gave Him the Spirit as He needed. Indeed, He humbled Himself in the likeness of men by voluntarily laying aside the full exercise of His deity, while exercising dependence upon the Spirit in His ministry. Now listen, I know that that can seem like an odd claim, a wild claim even, but I'm telling you, brethren, this is exactly what the Scriptures present. Now I suspect if I would have asked you guys in the beginning, how is it that Jesus was able to perform the miracles that He did? I would suspect that most maybe all would have said, because He's God. Because He's God. That's why He can do the miracles that He does. The problem is, brethren, the Bible never says that. The Bible does not say that, that Jesus did what He did because He's God. The Bible constantly repeats to us that the reason He was able to do what He did was because He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even though it, very, it may be very true that He's God. Listen, brethren, let me give you these again. Acts 10.38, we just read this. What is the power behind the miraculous ministry? The Spirit of God. Let me give you another one. Acts 2. <clears throat> Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Watch what he says that God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. Well, what's the point? Well, the point is that Jesus didn't just go around in His own divine prerogative going, bam, 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 I'm just going to do miracles out of my own thing. The point is to say, yes, He is a mighty man. He did do mighty works. But how? God did them through Him. How did He do them through Him? 
Through the Spirit, brethren. That's how He did it. How about this? Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 28. What does Jesus say here? If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, how is He doing it? How does He say it's happening? Where's the power coming from? The Spirit, brethren. This is over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures. They are testifying the fact that while many do think that Jesus performed miracles because He's God, that is not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is, yes, He is God in the flesh, but He did mighty miracles because He was empowered by the Spirit, brethren. That's the testimony of Scripture. Don't get afraid of the charismaticism that you go flying over here and you actually believe something that's not biblical. It is biblical that Jesus did what He did because of the Spirit. That's what the Scriptures testify. Another very interesting passage. We read it earlier. I kind of just passed over it at the time. But in Luke chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 17, it says, On one of those days, as He was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Why does Luke say this? I ask you, why does Luke say, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal? If Jesus, being God, had any ability at any moment to just hammer off miracles whenever he wanted to, why in the world is Luke even telling us that the power of the Lord was with him to heal? Now look, you can make what you want out of that text. But at minimum, you have to recognize this that Luke is telling us that, that at that moment that the power was upon him to do such a thing. It wasn't just out of his own volition. There was power upon him for him to be able to heal. This is outside of him. This is a power from the Spirit, brethren. <clears throat> Additionally, though, I think you can come to this text and you can see that there were times where the power of the Lord was with him to heal and times where there wasn't. Now, I don't think what you would have found if you would have lived back in the days of Jesus, I don't think you would have found some scene where Jesus is over here trying to heal someone and he's just not able to because he doesn't have enough faith or he doesn't have the ability or whatever, you know, whatever answer people want to give today. But you do find times where he goes into some place and he does not do many mighty works. You do find times where Jesus, do, Jesus goes into places and he doesn't do the miraculous. And what I'm saying is, even in those times, brethren, it would have been the good plan of the Father to have not given Jesus the power to do the mighty works. To judge the people. To judge the people. That was the purpose of it. <clears throat> so my, my point is this, brethren. God had the divine prerogative. As Jesus took on humanity and He set aside His divine prerogative, he was, he, he's God in the flesh, brethren. When we see Him in the Gospels, He is a fully human and fully divine person. But brethren, when He came in the flesh, He set aside His divine right. He came to be a servant among men. He came to submit Himself under the Father's will, and He came to submit Himself in dependence upon the Spirit. And all that He did in His ministry was by that Spirit. This is not intended to downplay the glory of Jesus, to rid Him of some claim of, of, of full deity. He was that. Nor is it intended to exalt man and make any of you think that, oh, because I have the Spirit, I can do all the same things Jesus did. This is not what we're intending to do here when we make this, this, this observation. All I want you to see is something I've been, a point I've been trying to make from the start of this biography series, and especially so, especially so in, in terms of his ministry, but that it's this, that if we fail to grasp the fact that Jesus, that his power came from the Holy Spirit, we may fail to fully appreciate how fully he did rely upon the Spirit as a man. And that, brethren, is something that you, as an individual now, have got to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ in. 
You have got to, to come under and be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and not grieve the Spirit. If you want power from God to live a life honoring to the Lord, brethren, you've got to come under the, the, the ministry of the Spirit as the Lord Jesus was. He was a man preeminently filled with the Spirit and supremely reliant upon the Spirit. And he was a man that performed many mighty works and miracles, all by the power of the Spirit, working through him. So, brethren, as we just close here on this, wrapping up you know, the ministry of Jesus, uh, brethren, I'm, I'm wanting you all, as you go back through the Gospels, to be encouraged to when you read through these events of the miraculous taking place in the Gospels, brethren, that you'd see them with fresh eyes, that you would stand in awe of what it is that you're reading, that you would read of what He did, and it would cause you to give glory to God. Don't let it be ordinary. Don't let it become dull. It's not dull. It's not ordinary. I, I, I remember... Some, some sermon piper talking about the Bible and he holds it up and he says, this is not a boring book. And it's not, brethren. This is not a boring book. If you can read through the Gospels and you are not brought to a full stop seeing the miraculous things of Jesus Christ, you got to reevaluate it, brethren. you got to reevaluate how you're reading it. Remember, the miraculous works that Jesus did, they testified of Him. They authenticated him in his ministry. And he did it all, brethren, by the power of the Spirit working through him. Brethren, he is, he is worthy. He is worthy of our worship and our praise and our glory. Let me pray.